So our first reading is page one of the Bible in Genesis chapter one, starting at verse 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every, over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds of the air and all the creatures that move on the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. And God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. And now we're going right over to 1 John chapter 4 which is on page 863. So 1 John chapter 4, starting at verse 7. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. This week, a friend of mine posted on Facebook that he'd reached that important milestone which we all hope to one day reach, that he'd finally achieved 5,000 friends on Facebook. (laughs) That's actually half the population of the town that I grew up in. And the funny thing is I went sort of back on there a bit later on just to confirm that it was 5,000 because as I was sitting down to write this it seemed like an awful lot and uh, it had dropped to 4,999 friends. (laughs) Somebody obviously didn't like being counted in that 5,000. Well, we've been doing a series on life, navigating the relationships that matter, as Richard said earlier. And today we're looking at the topic of friendship. But this is a, a, a tricky topic in many ways, because what exactly is a friend? I reckon it's, it's hard to define when you start trying to get into it, because we can use the same word friend to mean many different things. By the word friend, we can mean a kindred spirit. Or with the same word, by friend, we can mean one of our 400 Facebook friends who, when we pass them in the street, we don't even maintain eye contact. One definition of friendship that I saw was a a person who's not hostile. That's a pretty broad definition of friendship and doesn't include two of my kids. Today we're asking ourselves, what does the Bible have in mind when it talks about friendship? And that's hard to answer, because the Bible, it has the equivalent of both the kind of kindred spirit kinds of friendships, and also the Facebook kind of friendships. 
And it has stacks to say on both types of friendships and on every type of friendship in between. Over the last couple of weeks, we've been focusing in on particular kinds of relationships, work relationships, and then last week, relationships with kids. If we're going to properly understand what God has to say about a broad topic like friendship, we're actually going to have to take a step back and think about what God has to say about relationships in general. And let me warn you, today's going to be a little bit more of a step up in terms of the thinking and the work that we need to do to be able to do this well. So stick with me. Almost every single page of the Bible has got stuff to say about human relationships. Why is that? Why should relationships be front and centre of every story on every page of the Bible? For that matter, why should relationships be central to every human story, told or untold? The reason is because God is at the centre of reality and God, our God, is in Himself a relationship. In 1 John 4.16, it says, God is love. This is really important. God's not just loving, God is in Himself love. God is one God in three persons. I've got a couple of diagrams today just to help us sort of process some of this stuff. See, there's a mutual relationship of love between each person of the Trinity. Love that flows both ways, mutual love, relationship. And so God is in and of Himself a community of love. Have you ever thought about the Trinity that way before? So strong is the relationship between the persons of the Trinity and so deep is their intimacy that we actually say they mutually indwell one another, which means each person of the Trinity understands completely the the thinking and the values of the other two. And each person of the Trinity commits themselves completely, utterly, to achieving the plans and the purposes of the others. The community of the Trinity is one in heart and mind and has been like that for all eternity. Our God is love. Why is every page of every human story about relationships? Well, it's because the God who stands behind every human story is a relationship. But before we get ahead of ourselves, we need to pause and and ask ourselves, why should who God is in Himself impact who we are? Just because He's personal and relational, it doesn't make it necessary that we'll be the same. Why, Why is it that like God, we also are relational beings? Well, it's because God creates us humans for relationships. We saw this last week, actually, when we looked in Genesis 1.26, and we're going to have a look there briefly again. Remember how God says in Genesis 1.26, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. Humans, we saw, are made in the image of God. But this actually says something about our function and our nature. So to be in the image of God is, is to have something of the function of God in creation. Because look again at one twenty six and what comes straight after it. God says, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that 
they may rule. We function in God's image as we rule. In the ancient Near East, when a king conquered a nation, what he'd do is set up a, a vassal king in his place. And often what they'd do is they'd set up an image of themselves to remind the conquered nation of their rule through that king. Well, Adam and Eve are in the image of God in a similar kind of way. They were to rule creation, but under God's rule, as God's image bearers. They they kind of stand in His place in the rule of this creation in one sense. But being in the image of God, it's, it's about more than just our function. Being in the image of God also says something about our nature as well. Being able to rule under God means that humanity is able to relate to God. You can't rule God's creation without being in relationship with Him. In other words, what this means is that humanity is first and foremost created in the image of God for relationship with God. That's what it means to be in His image as well. We can relate to God. And on top of this, God creates humanity male and female for relationship with each other. Look at verse 27. So God created mankind in His own image. In the image of God, He created, it's literally Him, but then notice this, male and female, He created them. See, it's as male and female that we're in the image of God. We bear His image together. Humanity rules creation and relates to God, but we do it as we rule together and as we relate to each other. In this area, we're made to be truly like God. We're personal, relational beings. If you like, in the diagrams, you can see it like this. We're made to relate to God with relationships of love, mutual relationships of love. But we're also made to relate to each other, again, with mutual relationships of love, love that flows both ways. God made humans to have relationships that are based on this love, He made our relationships to be about seeking the good of the other, figuring out what the good is and doing it. This is why when Jesus was asked what's at the centre of what God wanted from His people in the law, do you remember the two things He said? Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And then the second part of it is like it. Love your neighbour as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So what do we take away from all of this that we've seen so far? What we need to take away is that relationships are really, really important in God's mind. Most important is our relationship with God. But relationships of love with each other are also incredibly important to humans and absolutely central to what it means to be human. But not all relationships are the same, are they? In a way, human relationships are kind of on a scale, on a spectrum of sorts. The primary relationship is with God. But the primary human-to-human relationship is what? It's marriage. 
So how does friendship fit in on this, this scale or this spectrum? Well, it seems to me that there's something about the duration of the relationship that defines it and so determines what love looks like in that relationship. See, marriage is to death do us part and that's why it's the primary human relationship. Whereas the bonds of children to their parents are transferred when they're married. We see in Genesis 2.24 that a man is to leave his father and his mother and to permanently bond to his wife. There's obviously still relationship with family, but it, but it changes its form. Friendships vary in length. And our interactions with strangers are kind of momentary meetings. Friendships, they fit on that scale, that spectrum, somewhere between family and stranger. Kindred spirits being closer to the family side, Facebook friends, some of them, being closer to the stranger side. And how much we give of ourselves in in friendships, it varies according to all sorts of different factors. But the important thing to see is that in every type of relationship, we're to be committed to the good of the other person. That's what love is, to be committed to figuring out what the good is of the other person, the good they need, and doing it. But the good of the other when we're married is often different to the good of the other when we're friends, and the good of the other when we're friends is often different to the good of the other when, uh, if it's a stranger. In other words, love takes different forms in different relationships. Now, this, this is actually pretty obvious. Um, I'm happy for Evie to sit on my lap after church, but if one of you do it, I'm going to be pretty uncomfortable. A handshake is fine. Love takes different forms depending on different relationships. Now, what we should take away from all of this is that life is about relationships. We're made for deep relationships. We need deep relationships, firstly with God, but also with each other. Our society has become incredibly individualistic. And and we, unfortunately, absorb this so easily and it affects our relationships. But God didn't make us at the centre of reality. That's what happens when we buy into individualism. God made us to orbit around Him as the centre of reality. But here's the thing that we often miss. As we orbit around Him, God has made us to be orbiting around each other. Relationship with Him and relationships with each other are what are at the centre of what it means to be human. Love of God and love of neighbour are central. When we truly grasp this and, and believe it, it should change our priorities, shouldn't it? Shouldn't it change how we measure the success of our lives? Not by our sporting achievements, not by our successes at work, not by assets or, or money, not by leisure or lifestyle or our academic achievements. The measure of a successful life will be the depth of its relationships with God, first and foremost, but also with each other. Let me put it another way. Where is it that we invest our time and our passion, our energy, 
Where do we invest our money and our intelligence and our creativity? Our main focus should be in relationships, in our relationships with God first and foremost, but also with each other. How do we make decisions? How do we decide which kind of job we should take or how much travel we should do in our job? How do we decide who we should vote for in an, in an election? How do we decide where we, eat TV, uh, where we eat dinner, in front of the TV or sitting at the table? Or even how much TV we should watch? Well, the way that we weigh up the value of all the options in front of us should be what's good for our relationship with God and our relationships with each other. But when it comes to friendship, I'm not sure that it's much of a priority for many of us. They say that we're making more and more of the Facebook kind of friends, while at the same time making less and less of the kindred spirit kind of friends. One study said that the percentage of Americans who had at least one confidant, one person they could confide in, who wasn't related to them, had dropped from 80% in 1985 to now 57%. If that's true for us too, it means nearly half of us don't have real friends. Deep friendship, in a way, is in danger of dying. Compare that to what C.S. Lewis writes about. He talks about, to the ancients, friendship seemed the happiest and most fully human of all loves, the crown of life and the school of virtue. The modern world, in comparison, ignores it. We admit, of course, that besides a wife and family, a man needs a few friends. But the very tone of the admission and the sort of acquaintanceships which those who make it would describe as friendships show clearly what they are talking about has very little to do with that philia which Aristotle classified amongst the virtues or that emicidia on which Cicero wrote a book. It seems to me that many of us men actually are notoriously bad at having real friends. When I talk to other men, that seems to be the situation. Sometimes we transfer to our wives the, the place that friends should occupy and we don't really put in the effort to make other deep friendships. And my observation seems to be that we can put too much pressure on our marriage relationship to fill our every need. In fact, some men are scared of deep friendships. The idea of any kind of emotional intimacy with other men can freak guys out because we're sold the lie that we can only be close to our wives and even then many of us don't do that too well. Even our society, it's lost lost this and it has this tendency to label any kind of meaningful relationship between men as being what? Gay, right? So when they read about Jonathan, someone did say bromance, that's true, there's something coming back, there's a resurgency, we're fighting back, a bromance is there. But there is this sense where any kind of intimacy, emotional intimacy between men gets labelled as being gay. So when people read about Jonathan and David in the Bible and their deep, deep friendship, some people can't accept that that's not gay. It's pretty sad, isn't it, that our society has reached this point. It's, it's so sad that culture is so quick to sexualize everything. And in the process, what we end up doing is neglecting a whole class of deep relationships and fearing them. 
But we need to listen to God and not our culture when it comes to how we understand relationships. God has made us for deep relationship with each other, with our spouses if we have them, with our kids if we have them, but for all of us, regardless of who we are, with our friends. And we ignore these kind of relationships to our poverty. We miss out on what, what God intended for us. God's ideal for humanity in His image was mutual relationships of love. But of course, humanity falls short of His ideal. And this brings us to our third point. Humanity fails to rule creation and relate in God's image. Now, over the last couple of weeks, we've seen this as it applies to work and we've seen this as it applies to kids. We've seen how humanity doubted God's love for them. They doubted that He he had their good at heart and so they, they broke off, Adam and Eve broke off the relationship with God by going against His rule and deciding for themselves without Him what's right and what's wrong. In other words, they break their image-bearing function and nature. This is called sin in the Bible. They stop ruling in relationship to God, the supreme ruler, and they completely destroy the way that God's made the world to be. They take a world that's meant to be centred on relationships and they twist it to a world that's now centred on selfish individuals. There's another diagram that, that explains this. You see our broken relationship with God that, that we've done and how this then breaks our ability to be able to relate to each other. See, our relationships now, they no longer reflect the Trinity. We're no longer completely committed to the good of other people and we know that they're no longer completely committed to our good. We should expect that this will have a massive impact on friendship. People often approach friendship as an investment they put into the relationship because of the return that they get. And at its worst, they stop investing if they suspect that it's not worth it anymore. Now, that's a self-centered way of approaching relationships that's actually so natural to us that we find it hard to even notice it in ourselves anymore. We no, we no longer look primarily to give in relationships. At its most crude, we give because we'll also get. I remember um, Kathy once met this lady who was really friendly and, and she was looking like she was looking for friends and uh, she sort of latched onto Kathy. But then it came out that um, Kathy was five years younger than her and she didn't realize and that didn't quite meet her recruiting standards that she had. And almost instantly she dropped her and turned to talk to someone else. But in a way, we can, we can be like, all like that in our friendships, all of us. Friendship now has a tendency to be based on selfishness rather than other person-centred. And we should expect sin to affect friendship. How often is there jealousy between friends? How often do we compare and compete with each other? See, because of sin, we should expect that friendships can all too easily be broken. And if we're expecting that, then we won't presume on friendships. We'll realise they're fragile. We'll realise that, that they take serious input. They take serious effort in us being sacrificial in our selflessness. It takes carefully finding and being committed to the good of another person. But we should do that realistically too. 
sin affects our ability to be able to determine the good that other people need and then when we can see it, sin affects our heart wanting to actually do it. Sin takes God's beautiful design for human relationships and it corrupts them. That's why we see sadness, loneliness, so much loneliness in this world, even hatred of God and each other. But as we think, God is love. And so Jesus enters into the mess of fallen creation on a rescue mission. And this brings us to our final point. Jesus recreates humans for relationship. Look at 1 John 4 verse 9 again. This is how God showed His love among us. He sent His one and only Son into the world. And we see why He did that? That we might live through Him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us. And see how He loved us? And sent His Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. God is love. Love drives the Father to send the Son He loves for us. Love drives the Son to walk among us and love drives Him to die at our hands to turn away God's anger at our rebellion so that we might live through Him. Jesus' death recreates our capacity for relationship with God as sin is dealt with. But Jesus doesn't just die for me as an individual. He also dies to restore a humanity that will once again live out relationships of love. Jesus' death recreates our capacity to relate to God and to each other the way that God intended. So the very next verse, what does it say in 1 John 4 verse 11? Dear friends, since God so loved us, We also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and His love is made complete in us. Again, let me show you some diagrams that kind of capture this. We go from broken relationships with God through Jesus, through faith in Him, to having those relationships restored. And we go from broken relationships with each other to this mess that you can see up here, a beautiful mess, not a mess at all. We go to relationships of love between each other and between God. In this age, as we wait for Jesus' return, our relationships with each other, the reality is they're still affected by our sin, but we're being transformed into the likeness of Jesus. Our image is being restored by the Holy Spirit, The Holy Spirit changes our minds to be able to detect what the good is and changes our hearts to actually want it. And when Jesus returns, part of the joy of that is that sin will be done away with for good, where we'll enjoy perfected relationships forever, living with God and living with each other, enjoying each other's company. Well, what should we take away from this? Something this means for Christians is that our relationships with each other are really important. Remember, I said earlier that there's something about the duration of the relationship that sets its priority. 
Well, friendship bonds won't last forever. Family bonds won't last forever. Marriage bonds won't last forever. But the relationships that we have because of Jesus here, as brothers and sisters in Christ, will last forever. Are we investing in the relationships that we have here? Not just as friends, but as brothers and sisters in Christ. Yesterday was a great example of people doing that. I've just got some photos um, for us to see of the ladies as they had their event together, which sounded like it was a great time. And the men as well. It's Paul cooking up a storm, (laughs) a firestorm. (laughs) Boys risking their lives. (laughs) Caught on camera for docks. (laughs) And not just those who were there investing in the relationships, but people sacrificially loving us by giving up their time and energy to organise these things. Daryl and Richard, let's see if I can remember, Kate and Jane and Kathy and Jess and Maddie and Emily who spoke. See, why do, why do we go on about bell, be early, leave late? Because the relationships that we have here matter. They last for all eternity. Be early so that you can build those relationships. Leave late, so that we can build those relationships. Why are we a church that encourages each other to have each other into our homes to share meals? Because we're brothers and sisters in Christ. These relationships will last for all eternity. Why do we encourage each other to join community groups? Again, it's hard to relate to everyone here as brothers and sisters on a weekly basis, but in a community group, it's so much easier to do it relationships of love that last for all eternity is what Jesus has called us to. That's how people know that we're his followers. And when we don't have those relationships of love, it starts to raise questions. Now, this is not to say at all that we should dump our non-Christian friends and family. I actually think one of the key things that we need to do as a church is to deepen our friendships with non-Christians while at the same time not neglecting our Christian brothers and sisters. Because in our friendships with non-Christians, we actually have the joy of pointing people to Jesus who can restore their relationship with God. Now, often we're afraid to do that, aren't we? Because it might affect the friendship. And it might. But if we're truly being other person-centred, if we truly care about the good of the other person if we care more about what we can give than what we can get out of that friendship, then we'll want them to know how great Christ is and we'll want them to get to experience the depth of relationships that God calls us to. And the reality is that if we really fear for the friendship, we'll point people to Jesus because without Him, there is no future to that friendship. The relationships that last forever are only the ones that Jesus has made possible as he gives his life on the cross, laying it down to take God's anger from us. There's no hope for any of us unless we come to him. In John 15 verse 13, Jesus says, Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. There's no greater love than Jesus. No greater sacrifice 
Jesus restores our relationship with God and He gives us the shape of how we're to love each other like that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're so sad at what our relationships have become compared to how you intended them to be. Lord, it's depressing as we just think about the lofty heights that you made us for and then what we experience, the loneliness that so many people experience, the superficiality in friendships. And yet, Lord, it is uplifting that we see that in Christ you've called us so much higher, that by your Holy Spirit at work in us, you are giving us a taste of the amazing depth of relationship of what's to come. Lord, that in Jesus we have absolute confidence that our relationship with you is restored despite our own pathetic attempts to love you. Lord, we thank you that you've called us to this. Lord, give us more and more a taste of the glory that's to come when Jesus returns. Lord, help us to realize that you've called us to love like Christ and that you've enabled us to by the Holy Spirit. Lord, help us to want this and as a community here to show this, to show that we are followers of Jesus as we show our love for each other. Lord, give us the ability to know the good that we each need here and Lord, the hearts to want it. And Lord, give us the hearts to introduce other people to you who don't know you. Help us to see that their greatest need really is to have their relationship with you repaired through Jesus. Give us the words and the hearts to do this, we pray in his name and for his glory. Amen.